Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, how are we, Hope? Doing good? That's awesome. You guys are awake today. Well, I have a pretty cool announcement. In years past, if you've been a part of Hope for any length of time, you probably know we used to do a yearly Israel trip. We had to shut that down due to COVID along with lots of other stuff. But it is my pleasure to announce that in June of 2023, we're starting that yearly Israel trip again. And there's much rejoicing. That's awesome. Um, And the reason I'm telling you about an Israel trip that is a year away is because if you lock in and put your name down uh, for that trip, by the end of this month, then you get a special early bird rate. Now, our very own uh, Doug Stride and Don Stride. Doug's a campus pastor. Don is on our executive team. They're going to be leading that trip. And I've never gone personally. I want to one day. But everyone that's come back has been like, man, that was a really significant event in my life. It wasn't just a trip. Like, you got to stand where Jesus said those famous words that we study about and that we memorize um, and that we go through every single week here, that you actually, you actually get to see the Bible come alive. You're where the Bible events happen and where a lot of it was written. So if you're interested in that, you want to lock in before the end of the month, you can go to gethope.net slash Israel, and hopefully I'll be able to go one of these years. Uh, But if you're just joining with us, we are in week five, that's a lot of weeks, uh, week five of a series that we've been calling Battle Cry. And uh, we've been talking about the spiritual battles that we all face. Uh, And we've been kind of zooming in on those battles that we just can't quite seem to win, those battles that we just face defeat after defeat after defeat. And what we've learned is, is that all of us has one of those areas. If there's anything that every single one of us have in common, it's that there's an area of our life that we would like to change. And so we've been talking about change. We've been talking about victory through Jesus. And I planned out this this series months ago, and I was sure that God wanted me to share on this certain topic this week. But after having uh, some conversations with some folks at all of our campuses, I decided a few uh, weeks ago to change the topic. And so here's why. Uh, When I was having those conversations with folks, they're like, man, this series has been awesome. And uh, this is my area. This is my struggle. This is my battle that I just can't seem to win. But in a few of those conversations, the person kind of said, and I have a friend that used to struggle with the same thing. Uh, but through this series, it just seems like Jesus has delivered them overnight. And I'm happy for them. And I love that. But it just seems like they get a shortcut to freedom. Why, why is God making me take the scenic route to freedom? And when I heard that, man, my heart just kind of sank And I just, man, freedom's coming, but you just have to approach that type of change differently. And I think that's a common misconception that we have in the church, because think of all the stories that we hear. We hear stories and we hear testimonies week after week here at church and online. And a lot of the stories that we hear are kind of like the the drug addict that was addicted for years, but met Jesus at a church service. And overnight, they were freed from that habit. Or the, the married couple that was on the verge of divorce and they read one book or they went to one conference or they prayed together one night and it just seems like Jesus healed that marriage overnight. And because those stories are so cool, 
And those stories are so moving. Those are the stories that get recorded. And those are the stories that get videotaped and that get shared on social media. And because those are a lot of the stories that we hear about, it can be easily, it can be easy to, be, to, to begin to believe that all change is quick change. That if you just have enough faith or that if you read the right book or find the right counselor, that freedom can be yours and three easy steps. But what you don't hear is the stories that I normally hear throughout the week. The story of the drug addict who has been to one rehab and then relapsed and had to go to another one. And then three, four, five rehabs later, they're finally at this place where they haven't used for about 13 months and they're slowly starting to taste freedom. It's a slow process of change. Or the married couple who were on the verge of divorce and it didn't happen overnight. They went to counseling session after counseling session and it was years of two steps forward and one step back and a lot of work, a lot of forgiveness. And now they've kind of found their sweet spot. Now it feels like they have freedom in that area. See, here's the truth. God absolutely does and can heal people overnight. And that's what I pray for first. And we rejoice when he does that. But I think that that is the rarity. The norm is the long process. The norm is the uphill climb. The norm is the long obedience in the same direction that eventually yields fruit. See, normally change takes time. It's a process. That's why here at Hope, we have something called the growth path, not the growth class because you can't do all your growing in one session, right? So we have a series of classes that you can figure out, all right, here's what the whole process looks at. Where, where am I at? Where's my next step, right? Because change is a process. Oftentimes it's slow change. And when you're facing that type of change, the change that takes a while, the change that doesn't just happen overnight, you have to kind of think about freedom and victory a little bit different. You kind of have to change your perspective on what the road to freedom looks like. And so for all of you that are facing slow change, they're in the middle of a process and kind of giving up hope, I want to speak to you tonight. Um, see, we've been talking about battles. And we've been talking about warriors and soldiers, and we've been talking about the armor that we have and, and the weapons that we have and the schemes of our enemy. And that's good. The Bible points to soldiers as a metaphor, as something that we can learn from. We're going to do it again next week, but we can also learn some really important things about slow change from a different place. And maybe an unexpected place for some of you. I was reminded of these verses that kind of inspired this whole sermon series I was reading in 2 Timothy months ago. And Paul does this whole perspective change. He's talking to a young pastor, Timothy. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Right? He says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then he says, no one serving a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. He says, Timothy, you can learn something about victory, something about freedom from a soldier. Then he says, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. He says, Timothy, you can learn something about the battles you face in victory from an athlete. We're actually going to look at that next week. But then he does this hard left turn and he says this, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into all this. He says, you can learn from a soldier, Timothy. You can learn from an athlete, but you can also learn from a farmer. And he says, reflect on this. So I have been, and he's right. You can learn a lot about the process of change from a farmer. I mean, what is a farmer, if not a master of slow change? 
I mean, a good farmer is the master at getting the most amount of benefits through a process of slow change. So that's what we're going to be talking tonight. We're going to be looking to the farmer uh, to teach us some lessons. But uh, I have some work to do because looking out at the audience and I know some people at the campuses as well, uh, y'all don't really look like country folk. Y'all look like city folk. And uh, I would say except for Fuquay, if you're watching online, Fuquay is like our most rural area. And they used to be country, but I drove through there this week. They got breweries now and big neighborhoods. So they're like country light at this point. So y'all need some help. Y'all would not know uh, a seed uh, planter or a harvester if it jumped up and bit you. So I have some visual aids, all right? I got some, uh, some plants right here. We're going to put right here. Aren't those pretty? I got some seed packets over here. I'm going to be talking about sowing and reaping and harvesting. And see, the good thing is that I, you might not know this. I am not a city boy. I actually was raised country. Don't let my big city vocabulary fool you, right? Uh, I was actually raised country and uh, there's farming kind of beats in my blood. I mean, what's my last name? Gardner. I should know something about it, right? So I know that this is an apple bush and this is a cucumber tree, I think. No, I'm just kidding. This is a tomato plant, all right? If you're from Cary, I know they're red in Whole Foods, but they start off green like this, all right? So this is a tomato bush and this is a hot pepper. This is jalapenos. Um, I actually want to introduce you to someone uh, in my family. You can put the picture up. This is my great, great, this is my great grandfather, uh, Jesse Nance, and that's his wife, Banna Mae. That's a cool name, isn't it? And uh, he owned about eight acres of land right near Lake Norman, right outside of Charlotte. And so he owned, um, he owned a sawmill to kind of make ends meet, but he had a passion for growing fruit too. Uh, so on that eight acres, over the course of years, he planted tons and tons of different fruit bearing trees. So he, he planted apple trees and peach trees and pear trees and apricots and figs. And then in the summer, he converted some of that eight acres to a huge melon patch where he would grow watermelon and he would grow um, sweet melons and all sorts of stuff. Uh, well, uh, when he retired from the sawmill, he got it in his mind that he wanted to turn a large patch of that land into a vineyard, into a vineyard. And so he started the process of this, this two, three, five year long process of turning four acres of his eight acres into a vineyard. And so he, uh, he tilled over the soil. Um, he made sure the pH was right and it had all the right minerals and all the right um, substances in there. And then he planned out where the vines would be. He cut down some trees and he made the posts himself. And then he set those posts where the posts should go. And then he made the trellises, one up top and one in the middle. And he wanted some sweet grapes, like the grapes that they have in California. So he ordered himself some Concord grape starts and some, some sweet white grape starts. And he planted those, those uh, starts. If you start with seeds, it's going to take you five to seven years to get any fruit. So he started with the starts first. And uh, sure enough, those vines took, and those were the vines that my mom grew up um, picking. And uh, you can actually see that's him as a farmer. You can see the grapevines behind him if you go to the next picture. No, is there another picture? No, oh, that's me. Save that for later. Okay. So my mom actually grew up uh, picking those grapes. She would wake up as a, like an eight-year-old with her, her three younger siblings, and they would go during grape season to my great-grandfather's uh, front porch swing and wait for him to get out of bed. And then once he woke up, he would walk out to the front porch, and the, he would sharpen uh, four pocket knives on this wet stone until they were razor sharp and then put them in the hands of eight-year-olds. It was a different time back then so that she could go and uh, go plant um, and, and go pick those grapes. Well, eventually uh, my, my great-grandfather figured out that those California grapes don't do so well in North Carolina. 
because North Carolina has something that California doesn't. It's called humidity. And so those grapes would go rotten. They would actually rot on the vine. There was lots of fungus and lots of mold and lots of viruses. And so uh, my grandfather started the process of transitioning that whole vineyard to a different sort of grapes. They're called muscadines or scuppernongs or Higgins grapes. All right, we got some native North Carolinians in the house. A lot of you have never heard of that. You might have tasted muscadine wine, but they have, uh, they have thick skin. So you actually squeeze the pulp out. And because of those thick skins, uh, they don't catch that mold. And so he went through this process. He still needed money. So he still needed grapes every single season. So he started this process of planting a few muscadine starts one year and then a few more the next year and a few more the next year. And after four or five years of this transitional phase, that whole vineyard turned into a muscadine vineyard. And that's what I grew up picking. You can put that picture back up. That's me mowing through those. I was probably in high school. I know my hair's blonde. That's courtesy of some sun in. Uh, used to spray lemon juice in our hair. Yes. Some 90s kids as well. You can go to the next picture. That's my grandfather, Vernon Nance, and you can see the vines a lot clearer. But I grew up picking those grapes. In fact, I would go up in August and September with all the cousins and I would get a dollar. I would get 25 cents a pound for every pound I picked. And we would charge a dollar a pound if you picked them yourself or a dollar 25 if we picked them for you. And I would pick a pound and eat a pound like my grandfather lost money. But um, on a good year, my grandparents could make about $10,000 just in September and August, um, which was good for them. My, my grandfather was a brick mason and a carpenter and my grandmother worked the factory line. So that that money would get them through the winter. And I remember just growing up seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people every single year enjoy the harvest uh, because my great grandfather started a process of slow change all those years ago. And what my great grandfather was doing, even though he didn't know it, is he was following these rules or these laws or these principles of agriculture in order to get a harvest. And what the Bible says is that those agricultural rules or laws actually have a spiritual counterpart. You can learn something from a farmer. And we see Jesus do this all the time, don't we? Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, right? Or the kingdom of God is like a farmer that went out to sow his seed. And he talks about farming and planting all the time. But one of my favorite verses is in Galatians 6. You can turn there if you have the Bible. Uh, if not, you can pull up the app we have there. There's a note section in the app as well. Uh, we'll also have it on the screens. But Paul here kind of um, collapses all of what the Bible says about what you can learn from a farmer in just a few verses. So let's read it together. It says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is the law that theologians call the law of sowing and reaping. And I love this law because it's all about slow change. It's all about the process of change over time. And just like my grandfather used this law to reap a harvest in the physical world with grapes, so we too can use this law to reap a harvest in our spiritual life. So that's what we're gonna go through. I'm gonna divide this principle, this law up into four parts, okay? If you don't take notes, I'd encourage you to, but here's the first little mini principle. You always reap what you sow. You always reap 
what you sow. Like when my grandfather got it in his mind that he wanted a vineyard one day, that he wanted to harvest a whole bunch of those sweet grapes, he didn't walk down to the local uh, farming store and pick up a pack of watermelon seeds. No, he didn't pack up a whole, uh, pick up a whole bunch of potato starts. No, he picked up some grape seeds because that's what produces grape. Like if I wanted this tomato as a harvest, I wouldn't pick up this pack of pepper seeds and plant them and hope that it magically turned into tomatoes. That's not how it works, right? Or if I wanted these peppers, I wouldn't plant these tomato seeds and magically hope that it would turn into um, those uh, peppers, right? Because... Um, you plant the type of seeds that you want to harvest, right? And it's the same with our spiritual lives. Uh, the Bible says that we can plant all sorts of spiritual seeds. It can be words that we speak. It can be thoughts that we have. Uh, it can be actions that we do or actions that we don't do. In fact, Paul actually uh, gives us a list of some of the seeds that we can plant just a few verses earlier in Galatians 5. He gives us a list of some bad seeds. He says in verse 19, the acts or the seeds of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, right? That's an emotion, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. That's an action, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness. And he keeps on going. And Paul says that when you plant seeds like that, don't be surprised when you don't like the harvest that you get because you always reap what you sow. If you sow bitter seeds, you're gonna get bitter fruit, right? But then he shows us a few examples of some good fruit that comes about when you plant good seeds. And some of you might know this verse. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul says, if that's the type of fruit that you want, then you have to plant the right type of seeds. Seeds like obedience and seeds like faith and holiness, you see? Or Jesus put it this way, uh, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Jesus says, if you make it your daily practice to sow seeds of judging others and condemning others, don't be surprised that when you get to a spot where you need a little bit of mercy, that's not what you harvest, right? Don't be surprised when other people judge you and condemn you because you reap what you sow. But if you sow the seed of forgiveness and kindness and mercy, when you get to the spot where you need a little bit of forgiveness, then that's exactly what you'll get because you always reap what you sow. Now, some of you are like, Chase, this is really simple. <laughs> like everyone knows this. This is not some stellar backcountry wisdom. Like everyone knows you can't plant a crop of kidney beans and expect okra to magically sprout out. Like every single person knows you reap what you sow. But does everyone know that? Or more importantly, does everyone live like that? Because I think a lot of people live as if the opposite is true. A lot of people live as if you can sow whatever you want and that somehow, some way, it will magically turn into a good harvest. Right? That's why Paul says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. He knows that people deceive themselves or allow themselves to be deceived. They allow themselves to believe, hey, okay, even if I start this relationship that's kind of progressing towards marriage, even if I start that on the foundation of breaking God's law, kind of having intimacy before the vows are said, of living together, maybe hiding that from friends. Even if I plant the seeds of disobedience or a lack of restraint and no commitment and hiding, they just know that somehow 
magically that relationship will yield trust and romance and blessing. And a lot of people are surprised when they reap bitter fruit, even when they planted those bitter seeds, you see? And Paul says, that's kind of like mocking God, laughing at those old outdated rules and commands and warnings, but see, it's called the law for a reason, just as much as gravity is a law and thermodynamics is a law, so sowing and reaping is a law and you can laugh at it, but you won't have the last laugh, right? And is this not exactly where our culture finds itself? Like I think back 20, 30 years ago, at some point our culture made the decision to pick up all of these seeds that our father in heaven warned us about. To pick up all of these things that our father said, no, 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 that's gonna yield a bad harvest. I need to warn you about that. That's gonna cause unhappiness. That's gonna cause division. That's gonna cause destruction. But instead we kind of put our fingers in our ears and we said, no, 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 God, you're wrong. You're wrong. These things will lead to satisfaction. This will lead to progress. This will lead to self-esteem and joy and fulfillment. And so in spite of what God said, we planted all these bad seeds decades ago. And now all we have to do is look around at the bitter harvest, right? The incredible rates, the horrendous rates of suicide and self-harm in our children, like our children, the historic highs of divorce and broken homes and fatherless children, the violence and the division that we see all around us. And instead of looking around and saying, hey, look at this bad fruit, look at this bad harvest, maybe we should stop sowing the seeds that we're sowing. We just put our hands over our eyes and just keep planting the same thing over and over and over and over again. But see, this law is like the law of gravity. You can choose to not obey it if you want, but you do so to your own risk, you see? So that's the first principle. You always reap what you sow. Pretty deep, huh? Here's the second one. You have to sow before you reap. In order to get this, you gotta put these in the ground and you can't switch the order, right? Like I could go to an empty pot and I could cry out to God all day, oh Lord, Please, in the name of your son, give me a watermelon to eat right now. It's not going to happen, right? Or I could go and say, God, according to your grace and mercy, will you raise up a crop of zucchini for me to feast on? And I can pray all I want every single day. And there's not going to be any fruit until what? Until you sow a seed. You got to plant the seed before you harvest because God operates according to spiritual laws, laws that he sets up. And one of those is that you have to sow before you reap. Like you may pray to God every single day, God, I don't have a job. I really need a job. Would you just allow me to get employment? And you may ask your small group to pray for you to get employment and to get a job. And you may email me and say, Chase, will you pray for me and get all the pastors to pray for me? And we could pray for weeks and weeks and weeks, but you're not gonna get a job until you submit an application or until you pass a few resumes around, right? No farmer gets up in the middle of July and is like, where in the world are those tomatoes that I wanted if he didn't plant the seeds a few months ago, right? Proverbs say, sluggards do not plow in season. So at harvest time, they look, but they find nothing. And here's why this is so important. Here's why this is so important. You have to sow before you reap. Because I believe a lot of us are missing out on things like joy and peace and patience, the fruits of the spirit. We're missing out on the abundant life that Jesus came to bring us now because we never planted seeds in the past. And here's the thing about seeds. You can't plant one six weeks ago. You can't plant a seed six months ago or six years ago. You know what that means? It means the best 
time to sow a seed is today. The best time to sow a seed is today. And you're like, again, duh, everyone knows that. But I hear sentences like this, you know, I would sow the seed of forgiveness. And I know I need to, but I'm just waiting until my friend that needs it isn't so much of a jerk. Then I will, then I'll sow that seed. Or I know that I need to sow the seed of sacrifice in my marriage. And, and I will, I will, but I'm just waiting on the day until my spouse isn't so entitled, right? Or, or I, I know that I should sow the seed of grace in my parenting. But if you knew my kid, you know that now was not the right time. They wouldn't receive it. It wouldn't be good for them. I'll do it when the timing is right. I'll do it when the environment is right. You know when a farmer plants their seeds? They plant it right about the time of year where the fruit that develops from those seeds would never ever be able to survive. They plant peas when the ground is still frozen. They plant tomato plants when it's cold and when it's wet. If you wait on the perfect time to sow, that time will never come and you're never gonna get a harvest. Ecclesiastes says, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. If you look around and say, now's not the time, we're gonna wait until it's not so windy or not so cloudy, you'll never get around to it. See, farmers know you can't be afraid to sow. You can't wait to sow. Farmers know the best time to plant a seed is today because they know you have to sow before you reap. High schoolers, college students that are getting ready to go back, listen to me, you are sowing seeds today of the person that you will become in five or 10 years. And our culture either says, wait, you can put it off. Or what do they say? Sow your wild seeds. They say, do as much wrong stuff as you can while you don't have any responsibility, while the consequences are minimal. But see, with the seeds that you sow right now, you're gonna have that harvest, uh, that harvest right around the time that you're gonna be stepping into marriage, that you're gonna be looking at full-time employment, that you might even be having kids. And you're gonna want a harvest of things like responsibility and nearness to God and discernment of his will. So you need to be planting seeds right now where you're in God's word, where you're surrounded by faithful men and women, where, where you're, you're preparing for the person that you're gonna become because you have to sow before you reap. All right, so you reap what you sow. You have to sow before you reap. Here's the third principle. You will always reap after you sow. You'll always reap after you sow. And you're like, Chase, you didn't have a lot of time on your sermon this week, did you? Because that's the same point as point two, but it's not, all right? You have to sow before you reap, but you have to reap. You will always reap after you sow. Here's the point, but between this, between these seeds going in the ground and between this happening, listen, what's here, what's here? There's a gap, there's a gap. Everyone say, there's a gap. There's All the orthodontists ears just pricked up. That's their three favorite words, there's a gap. <laughs> I worked on that all week, all right. See, now depending on the type of seed that you plant, this gap is gonna be smaller or it's gonna be larger. So if you want a radish, I mean, who wants a radish? But if you wanted one, they don't have many nutrients and they don't taste very good. From the moment that you plant that seed, you can have a radish in 15, 20 days. But if you want like a nutrient dense cabbage or like a sweet, sweet watermelon, that gap's gonna be anywhere between 90 and 100 days. But if you want a tree, or a vine that produces fruit after fruit after fruit, year after year after year, that gap can be five to seven years, you see. You see, there's a gap. There's a waiting period from when you plant to when you harvest. And the best fruit has the longest gaps. Again, everyone knows that, Chase, but do we? Because how many of us have gone out 
and we bought a book on parenting or we bought a book on marriage because our marriage is in a bad place. And we read that thing from cover to cover and we say, okay, God, now is the time for my marriage to heal. Now is the week that I'm gonna work on my marriage. And we take good notes and we say, this book says I should communicate and I should serve and I should listen. So Monday's the day. So we wake up Monday and we communicate and we serve and we listen and nothing really changes. We say, okay, that's okay. We're gonna try it again. So Tuesday comes around and we communicate and we listen and we serve and nothing really changes. We're like, okay, one more shot. So we do it on Wednesday and we communicate and we listen and we serve and again, nothing happens. And so on Thursday, we get in our prayer time and just explode in anger at God. And we're like, God, we said, thank you 13 times this week. I did the dishes two and a half times. I was interrupted one time, but it would have been three. I listened to her talk about her day and her day is not that interesting. And I listened with my face and I nodded at the right times, right? So why hasn't everything changed? It's because there's a gap. There's a waiting period between when you sow and when you harvest. And this is so important to remember when you're entering a season of slow change because your tendency is gonna be to do everything that God said and be obedient and just jump in and plant all the right seeds, but get really frustrated early on when you aren't reaping the benefits. And to get angry with God and say, man, this obedience thing must not work. It doesn't pay off. I'm done with this, but you have to be patient. That's why Paul says what? He says, let us not become weary in doing good day after day after day. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You have to be patient. Don't give up. And I want to add something to this principle too. It's something I've been thinking a lot about probably the past four or five days. Um, part of why I lo love hope so much is that God brings us a lot of people that have had no experience with church or no experience with Jesus. If you want to know the power of God's grace and the gospel, just pick two or three people around you and ask them about their story. Not now, like after the sermon's over and just get them to tell you their story, how they came to know Jesus. And you'll be like, God saved you from that. Like you came out of that and you're where you are now. And I don't know why um, God allows us and trusts us with precious people like that, but I do not take it for granted. And I'm thankful for it every single day. But here's what I know, because, because of that, many of you have found Jesus in the midst of a really, really rough circumstance. You just started following Jesus, whether in your marriage or in your personal life. And see, you're in this weird transitional season that you need to know about. It's like when my grandfather planted those grapes that didn't go so good, right? And figured out that they were diseased. And so he spent this process of planting new grapes right around this time, right? But see, there's this transitional phase here where you're planting the right seeds, but that first year, you're not gonna get any fruit. You're just getting the old bad fruit. And then year two rolls around. Okay, you're getting some good fruit now. It's not fully mature yet, but you're getting mostly bad fruit. Then we, year three comes around, it's kind of half and half. You're like, okay, this is good. I still got some rotten fruit, but I got a lot of good fruit. And then eventually you get mostly good fruit and a little bit of bad fruit. And as the years go by, those bad seeds that you planted all those years ago, the fruit will dry up. And all you're left with is the good fruit, you see? See, a lot of times you'll start following Jesus and you'll be planting all the right seeds, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your personal life. And after a few weeks or a few months, you're like, why is all this bad fruit still happening? Why isn't Jesus making good on his word, you see? Well, it's because you're in a transitional phase. 
you're slowly just revamping your whole garden of your life. So even though you're sowing good seeds right now, you're still in the process of harvesting those bad seeds that you planted a year ago or two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. Your bad harvest isn't done yet and your good harvest hasn't had time to mature and that's okay. Listen, don't confuse the harvest of the past with the harvest that's yet to come. Whatever sort of bad fruits that you're dealing with as you just get started with Jesus, listen, that is not God punishing you. That is not God making you pay for your past. That's not God getting even with you. And that's not that God's principles don't work. It's that they work so well, <laughs> right? So whenever that happens, you just have to have this thought like, oh, this isn't because Jesus isn't faithful. That's because past me was dumb and planted bad seeds and that fruit hasn't dried up yet. Well, I'm gonna be a better past me to the future me and I'm gonna keep on planting good seeds, you see? That bitter fruit will dry up. I'm testimony of that. Your marriage is not beyond hope. Your relationship with your child, it's not too far gone. You're not gonna be forever harvesting the fruits from those bad seeds in your past. But you have to be patient and you have to hold on to hope. Which leads me to my last principle. You will always reap more than you sow. You'll always reap what you sow. You gotta sow before you reap. You're always gonna reap after you sow. But the cool thing is, is you're always gonna reap more than you sow. What is this, like eight or 10 tomatoes on this vine? That started from just one tomato seed. And that's just getting started. I mean, a tomato plant will make what? 50, 60, 80 tomatoes? When my grandfather started out, he planted about 80 grape starts. And the first year of harvest, two or three years, years later, he didn't get 80 grapes, did he? No. Over the course of the life of that vineyard, he got, what, millions? Millions? It's because you always reap more than you sow. And I know we've seen this principle play out negatively. I don't want to dwell there, but it is true. We all have been close to a person that decades ago maybe planted a really bad seed in private and kind of watered it and nurtured it and that seed grew and that seed scattered more seeds and those grew and those grew. And then a decade or 15 years later, we just watched harvest time where you know, their life imploded, their marriage unravels. And it's not just affects them. We've seen whole generations of family affected by a bad harvest, right? I've seen that. But I think a lot of times we forget about or don't notice how this works out positively in our lives. Uh, I remember the very last harvest that I was a part of. Uh, my great-grandfather had passed away. My grandfather passed away when I was in high school. Uh, my grandmother was thinking about selling the land in Lake Norman, and it was hilarious because it was like, if you know Lake Norman, it was at that point mansion, 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 double wide brick ranch my grandfather built, mansion, mansion, mansion. So she ended up selling the land a few years later by that very last harvest that I was a part of. I remember just taking a moment to look around and it hit me for the very first time. It was me and all the grandkids. It was my parents. It was my grandparents. And it all started with my great grandfather, not to mention the hundreds of people that would literally take buses up to Lake Norman from Charlotte to get some of those famous Lake Norman muscadines. And I thought, man, four generations and countless people blessed because of the patience and the hard work of one man 80 or 90 years ago. That's what God can do in our lives. And that was just a man in the physical world armed with his own strength and his own wisdom. When you sow spiritual seeds, you know it's different. 
you know, it's not just you working in the garden, but God actually says the creator and sustainer of the universe is sovereignly involved in every single seed that you sow. Jesus tells a parable about it, that when the farmer sows his seed, that the Holy Spirit gets to work and make sure that that, that gets rooted and that it finds the minerals and the essential elements that it needs and it provides it with shade and provides it with sun. And God's doing a million different things every single time you plant those seed until the harvest miraculously occurs. In fact, it's not us that causes that harvest. It's actually Jesus. He tells us this in John 15. I am the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Jesus says, I'm the one that's gonna bring the fruit. You don't have to worry about the harvest. That will happen. You just worry about sowing and he promises a harvest. You plant the right seeds and he promises that he will increase it miraculously 50, 100, 1,000 fold. And in my life, can I just say, <laughs> he's been so unimaginably faithful in that area. I didn't do a whole lot right growing up. I planted some bad seeds and I've tasted the bitter fruit that came from that. I've paid a price. But somehow, some way, <laughs> Jesus got me to the point where I started planting good seeds, just one or two here and there, and a little bit more as the years go on. And I'm just at the point in my life where I'm experiencing the, the bounty of the harvest and it's all of his grace and it's all of his mercy. But just my marriage with my bride, my sweet kids, what I get to do for a living, the people that God has surrounded me with. And it all started years ago with a little seed. So listen, the seeds that you plant right now, it's not gonna stay small long. The seed of forgiveness that you plant in your marriage day after day after day, it's not gonna stay small long. Those little I love yous that you say to your teenager who is so closed off, and hasn't said it back to you in a few years, it's not gonna stay small long. The seeds of forgiveness or faithfulness or trust or, or selflessness, whatever it is, Jesus says, by the power of my Holy Spirit, that's gonna grow and it's gonna grow and it's gonna grow and at the right time, you will reap a harvest that's 10, 50, 100 fold, right? So don't give up. Change takes time. Don't grow weary or faint when the harvest hasn't happened. You sow the seed and you trust the God of the harvest. In fact, that's our battle cry. <laughs> I took a long time to get there, but if you have your cards, you can go ahead and take them out. Battle cry for this week is, I will faithfully sow and I'll trust God for the harvest. In my marriage, I'm gonna faithfully sow and I'm gonna trust God for the harvest. In my thought life, in my personal life, in my parenting, all I gotta do is faithfully sow and I will trust God for the harvest. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for your word. Would you show us the seeds we need to stop sowing? Would you sow us the seeds that we need to start today? And fathers, we're faithful for this, I pray, to the God of the harvest, that not just our lives be changed, but the lives of our children and their children and their children. May this week as we start doing this, our whole family tree just shift. And we say that was the moment, that was the moment that our whole life turned around. So you can do this and we ask you to. And it's in your name we pray.